growing up, I thought I had great friends, and who doesn't? If you grew up and you thought your friends were not great, uh, I'd be surprised. But I had so much fun with my friends. I really liked my friends. They were cool. They were in the cool crowd at school, so I was cool. Uh, We'd been through a lot together over the first 18 years of our lives and really developed trust, and I thought, these friendships are going to last forever. And then college came, and we scattered. K-State, friends, junior college, Tabor, Oklahoma State. I was the only one who went to Wichita State. And during my time at Wichita State, those friendships were intact, but I realized that they had been formed by proximity, not intentionality. They'd been formed primarily by convenience, and out of all of the friends or all the people at my school, we had the most in common, and so we grouped together. And we enjoyed each other, and we had stuff in common, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But there, is, there was a problem. All the stuff that we had in common did not include learning how to hear from God. We really didn't include that as part of our friendship. That was not something we had in common. And when I say learning how to hear from God, uh, I'm not talking about in an audible voice. Uh, If you've been around since the start, uh, we've spent quite a bit of time on what it means to hear from God, to know God's direction for your life. And that's based on scripture. It's sustained by prayer. It's helped by other people. And it's often confirmed by your circumstances. And it's not easy to hear from God. It's something we have to train in. But it is possible, and it's necessary for us to live well. Uh, My eighth grade PE teacher told our class something that's pertinent to our discussion today. And so if you're a teacher, this is just a quick encouragement. Keep sowing seeds, just like John said, because it might take a decade or longer to come to fruition. But what my eighth grade PE teacher said really stuck with me. And he told our whole class, the people who are closest to you are the people that you'll become like. The people closest to you are the people that you're going to become like. And the Bible supports this idea. Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. In Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. So you're responsible, I'm responsible, each one of us is responsible for who we let closest into our lives. Because whoever we let closest will affect who we become. And clearly, God cares about who you become. And therefore, he cares about who is closest to you. So if your closest circle of friends, like mine in high school, does not encourage you to hear from God and obey him, then you will not become the type of person who regularly, habitually hears from God and obeys him. And there's many, many more passages like those in Proverbs that we looked at. In fact, I think whole books have this theme Uh, in the New Testament. The theme is watch out for false teachers. So be careful who you follow. Be careful who you associate with. And 2 Corinthians is actually one of those books. And each weekend as we have walked through 2 Corinthians in 2017, I've wondered, okay, should I bring up that theme this week? No, not this week. And I brought it up in January But now I'm going to bring it up again today because that undercurrent, it's kind of subtly been there throughout the whole time. It's it's rising to the surface over the second half of the book. So let's do a quick review of what happened at Corinth. Um, 
Paul planted that church there and established it with everything that they needed to continue. And then Paul was faithful to God. He was obedient to go and plant other churches. That's what God had called him to. So he didn't stay with them, but he did stay in touch. He kept that friendship, that relationship sustained through both visiting and writing. And if you read 1 Corinthians in the Bible, uh, you'll see that he helped them work through a lot of problems. This was not a, a pretty or a pure church. They had a lot of issues. So now he's writing 2 Corinthians before making yet another visit. And one of the main reasons for this letter is to address a group that had infiltrated their church. They were known, or they, they called themselves, this group did, the super apostles. Uh, because they thought if Paul's an apostle, we're even higher apostles. We're super apostles. And the church was listening to them. They were giving their ear to them. They were letting this group in close to their heart and therefore being affected by them. And as a result, they were not only doubting Paul, but they were doubting the gospel that Paul had brought and planted there. So let's look at uh, verse 4 of chapter 11, and you'll see this in these verses. If someone comes to you and preaches a, a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the Holy Spirit you received when you believed and followed Christ, or a different gospel than the one you accepted when we first presented it to you, Paul's saying, you put up with it easily enough. He's basically saying, you're, you're giving these people your ear. Uh, you're following them instead of the truth. And then verse 13 of the same chapter, such men are false apostles, deceitful workers. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ, but no wonder, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of life, uh, as an angel of light. So this is a serious issue, a really important matter. They were being influenced by people who were not leading them towards Christ-likeness. So last week, we saw Paul tell this, this audience, this church, don't take God's grace in vain. And we saw that even today, God is telling us, his people, don't take my grace in vain. And now this week, what we're going to look at is Paul is telling this church, be holy. And God is telling his people still today, be holy. And we saw this phrase earlier in the book, or this, this idea, that grace should lead to holy lives in which relationships thrive. So last week we looked at grace. This week we're going to look at what it means to live a holy life. And holiness is simply a life set apart to God. It's a life set apart to the one who is set apart himself from all others. He's unique. And in a nutshell, holiness is becoming like Jesus. And you can do that as a stay-at-home mom. You can do that as an overseas missionary. Because it's not just what you do. It's how you do it and why you do it. It has to do with character. So when someone becomes a new creation, creation in Christ, when they give their lives to Christ, do you know one of the names or labels that the New Testament gives them? It's saint. And that word literally means holy one. So we are made holy and we're called to be holy. We're called to be what we are. So we're going to look at holiness in 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through chapter 7, verse 3. The words will be on the screen, but uh, they won't all be on the screen later when we look at the different parts of this. So I encourage you to follow along in your Bible. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 11 
through chapter 7, verse 3. Paul writes, We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. So Paul is urging the church at Corinth to live a holy life. And he's showing them, he's, he's urging them in five ways. Here's five ways that you can live a holy life. And the first way to holy living is to initiate with an invitation. We see this in verses 11 through 13. Did you catch the nature? Did you, did you pick up on the relational tension in this passage? the nature of Paul's relationship with this church. He's saying, we've given our hearts to you. Our hands are open, a hand of invitation, but you're leaving us hanging. Just like a parent loving their child who refuses to reciprocate the love. And he doesn't say, forget you, or how dare you? But he, patient, he patiently says, come on now, our hearts are open. Follow, follow my lead, we're not going anywhere. And I think it's really important to remember as we're talking about holiness that Paul was not a perfect man. He was a man like us. But he could say, because of his faithfulness and his commitment to Christ, he could say, and he did say to this church, follow me as I follow Christ. So anytime you or I initiate or invite someone, what we're doing is we're exposing ourselves there's a chance that we could be left hanging, that our hearts are wide open and there's no reciprocation. But that's what faithfulness to Jesus looks like. It means putting ourselves out there in faith, being obedient, and letting the chips fall where they may. And that's what Paul was willing to do. That's what we should be willing to do. Being willing to say to another, follow me as I follow Christ. Not because I'm so great, but because Christ is so great. And it's not about perfection, it's about direction. So who are you following? Can you say, follow me as I follow Christ? You can only say that if you really are following Christ. 
Until we follow well, we don't know what it means to lead well. And if you are following Christ, then who are you leading? Who is your heart open to, your hand extended to? And I believe Christ calls every single one of his people to to lead in some way, to serve in some way. Because Jesus said to his followers, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, who you follow, it's going to dictate how you lead. So quit following those super apostles because you're going to lead like them and you're going to ruin people's lives. And so Paul warns them, this is the second way to live a holy life, is to be warned of others. Be warned of partnering with the wrong people and letting them in closest to you, letting them into your inner circle. In verse 14, Paul says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. And the whole idea of being yoked together is like putting an ox and a donkey, that this is unequal yoking, putting an ox and a donkey next to each other and having them plow the field together. It's not going to work. And it especially wouldn't work for Jews who looked at the donkey as an unclean animal. So putting an unclean animal next to a clean animal would just be an abomination. They just couldn't think of it. It'd be like for a, I guess in modern vernacular, if you're a computer guy, it'd be like having a a Mac computer running on Windows. What are you doing? (laughs) But Paul continues to ask those questions. What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, an idol, a false god? whereas Christ is the real God. And normally, people cite this passage as, hey, here's evidence the Bible says not to marry an unbeliever. And that's, that's a true application of this passage. You should not be unequally yoked. But it also, the broader, the, 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 Paul's original intent is be careful who you let into your inner circle. And marriages definitely should be in your inner circle. But I just want you to see that the the principle is really broad here. It's about protecting your heart and your life from being influenced by the wrong people. And the wrong people is anyone who's not going to lead you towards holiness, depth in your walk with God. So Paul's saying, guard your inner circle closely. And if you're following, which I hope you are, if you're following along, you might think, Ben, hold on. You're saying that for me to live a holy life, I have to extend a hand of invitation, right? Invite people in. But I also need to guard and be warned about letting the wrong people. So which is, how do I do that? That's a good question. And I want to look at the example, actually the prayer of Jesus right before he went to the cross in John 17. This is where we'll find our answer. Jesus prayed about his followers, about his disciples. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Meaning we don't live the way that the world lives. We don't have the same values. Then he prays to his father, sanctify them, which that word just means make holy. It's the word for holy in a verb. Make holy them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. 
So if you've been in the church or been around Christianity very long, you're familiar with this phrase, we're called to be in the world, but not of the world, right? This is the text that phrase originates from. But based on what Jesus is asking, I think a better phrase, according to Jesus, is not of the world, but sent, sent into the world. So let's go back. How do we do that? Ben, you didn't really answer my question clearly enough. How do we both extend a hand of invitation and also be warned and, and guard from being influenced by the wrong people? Depend on God. You have to hear from God to know how to live well, to know how to live faithfully. And we can depend on God through his word, through his promises. And that's exactly what Paul says in this third way to live a holy life. Look at what he says. He says, as God has said, and then he quotes Old Testament scripture. We can do that too. We can turn to God, depend on God, as we hear from him through his word, as we know who he is through the Bible. And I'll be the first to tell you, it's not an easy book. It's not going to be like, I read it, I understand it, case closed. We need to train in hearing from God through his word. It's not always instantaneous. I hope that God gives you that experience. Some passages are easy to understand than others, but I just want to urge you to make a commitment to depending on God. Otherwise, you'll never really experience what it means. You'll never really be able to live a holy life. We have to depend on God to both offer that hand of invitation and to rightfully guard ourselves. So how vital is God's word to your life? And how is that manifesting itself? in your life? How does that come out in your normal weeks, in your daily routine, that you absolutely need God's word, that you absolutely need him because the word points to a person? He says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. He longs for relationship with you for that relationship to grow. And only he can show us what to avoid and only he can show us how to grow. He's the teacher. He's the leader. So the third way to live a holy life is to depend on God. The fourth way to live a holy life that we see in this passage is take responsibility. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So we're called to exert effort. Look at the language Paul uses. Since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves. And then he says, make room for, our, make room for us in your hearts. These are commands. These are things that we're responsible for, that we should respond to. So similar to getting into God's word, what effort are you currently exerting to become holy? How are you taking responsibility for your growth in Christ? You might, one way to do this is to make room for people in your life who will propel you and encourage you in that way. 
Paul says to the Corinthians, make room for us in your hearts, not the super apostles. Make room for us. So who are you sharing your heart with? I just want you to know that God will not prevent you from growing in your walk with God. And the devil, if you're in Christ, he can't touch you either. Only you can decide how much you're going to become like Jesus. How much you're willing to die to yourself in order to become more like Jesus. We have all that we need for godly living. The only question is, will you? Will you make that sacrifice? Will you take the next step? Will you be intentional? Will you be faithful? And make yourself available to the right people who will help you on that journey. We need each other. The fifth way to live in a holy life is to remember it's a process. Uh, This isn't just something we try at. It's not like a test where it's a one-time thing and then we get our grade back and it's done. It's, It's training. It's like uh, filling out sheets of your multiplication tables, one after the other, one after the other, just so you can train to, to learn your multiplication tables. And so any time that I think about holiness, or most of the times when we talk about holiness and growth in our walk with Christ, it's easy to beat yourself up. It's easy to see all the ways that you've fallen short. But I want you to hear what Paul says at the end of this passage to the Corinthians, and I want you to internalize it. I want, I want you to hear this from God. He says, I do not say this to condemn you. To be condemned is to be completely disapproved of. And if you're a Christ follower, you're not condemned. Remember, Paul was not a perfect man. But he could say, follow me as I follow Christ. The goal is not perfection, the goal is direction. And we're all perfecting something. Our actions, our choices, they have a habitualizing effect on us. My dad's a band teacher, and he says, practice makes permanent. So we need to develop practices that we want to be permanent in our life. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's not too late. If you have some destructive patterns or practices, it's not too late to turn to Christ and trust him to change you and exert effort towards that end. It's a process, and we need committed relationships to engage this process with us. Paul Paul said, I've said this before, I'll say it again. This is my paraphrase of Paul in the second half of verse 3. I've said before, you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm here for you. That's what Paul says. We need those people in our corner to be propelling us towards Christ-likeness. So let's look at a summary of these applications uh, and As a whole, I just want to point out that holiness is fleshed out in relationships. So we're not encouraging. In fact, I think Paul and and we're discouraging the holier-than-thou attitude. We don't want to look around and say, ah, better than her, better than him. That's not it at all. We want to look at Christ and say, yeah, yeah, change me to become more like that. 
become more like you. Help me see people the way that you see people. Christ was the holiest person ever, still is, and he never had a holier-than-thou moment. So some of these applications. You're responsible for who has your ear. Who, who has influence in your life? You're responsible for giving them that position. So what are your relationships revealing and forming in you? Because whoever you let closest to you, you'll most likely become like. And are you hearing from God? We need to let him be closest. He should be our inner circle. And he should be forming our inner circles outside of that. And who are you offering a hand of invitation towards? Remember, Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So offer a hand of invitation towards others. I met with a friend this week. One of the things he said to me was, I always get more out of serving than in being served. That's true. That's the way God designed life to work. And you don't have to have it all together. You just have to be committed to this growth process with God and with others. Be committed to the process. And I just want you to know the devil wants you to feel condemned every time you fall short, every time you set a resolution and then you don't make it. But if you're in Christ, you're not condemned. So mess, if you mess up, just confess it and move on. It's a process. Don't give up. Every sin, past, present, and future, was paid for on the cross. And you are therefore a temple of the Lord, just like Paul says in this passage. And you can live in the presence of the holy God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Do you remember in the Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus died on the cross? you remember what happened in the temple? The curtain was torn from top to bottom. And that curtain separated the holiness of God from the rest of the world. The curtain was torn so that we could be the temple of the living God. God is available. We can grow in holiness because when Jesus was raised, God proved that his holy ones, the saints, the people who put their trust in him, they will ultimately overcome, just like Jesus overcame death. So, my friendships changed after high school, and I still have many of those relationships. I offered a hand of invitation, and some of them refused. Some of them said, yeah, let's still be friends, but let's just keep it the way it was. And so they couldn't be my go-tos anymore. They couldn't be my inner circle like they once were. That doesn't mean we're not still good friends. I, I still think we are good friends, but it, it means they just can't be my best friends. Because friends that move me towards holiness are my best friends. Because they're giving me what's best for me. Deeper relationship with God. More love for other people. It's best for me. It's best for my family. It's best for the world around me. I shared this verse before. Hebrews twelve fourteen. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So if you ever doubt how important your holiness is, Hebrews 12, 14, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This does not mean that you or I can't be friends with unbelievers. We should be friends with them. 
but they can't be your closest go-to friends. But you can be their closest go-to friend. Because the people closest to you are the people that you'll become like. And we want to invite them with us to become like Jesus. And they're going to be inviting you towards something else. And I just want you to know that God cares deeply about who you become and whoever you let closest to you is who you'll become, most likely. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we exist to know and love you and make your love known. Uh, We can't be holy apart from you, but you've made us holy and you've called us to be holy and you've given us your spirit. You've made us your temple. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So God, we just want to talk to you now about how you're calling us to change and we want to say yes to you. Help us to become the men and the women that you've called us to be.